This is the middle school in the farming community of Worthington, Minnesota. 30 kids with instruments are packed into an orchestra room. It's a tight fit. That's because this isn't really an orchestra room. That was a classroom, a regular classroom. That's John Landgard. He's the superintendent of the Worthington schools. He says they're running out of space. He peeks into another room with three small tables and chairs, a blackboard, and a teacher's desk. It used to be a storage room. Now it's a small classroom. Here at the middle school, four grades are squeezed into space originally built for three. Over the years, they've added some classrooms, but Landgard says they're at capacity. He says many of the buildings in the district are crowded. So he and the school board have asked voters to agree to increase their property taxes to raise at least $26.7 million for a new intermediate school. In Worthington and in communities across most of the country, when schools need to renovate buildings or build new ones, they have to convince voters to raise their own property taxes. In Worthington, the schools have asked four times in the past three years. Four times. And the voters said no each time. And there's one man who gets much of the credit or the blame for defeating the school's requests. But he doesn't even live in Worthington. In fact, he's fought against tax increases for schools in nine different states. It's his mission. I have a deep, passionate abhorrence of government schools. I'm dedicating my life to see them and to pass it on the vision on to my children and children's children to see that institution one day be gone. From APM Reports, this is Educate, a podcast in collaboration with The Heckinger Report. I'm Stephen Smith. For about a year now, our producer Alex Baumhart has been looking into the work of Paul Doerr. For at least 25 years, Doerr's hired himself out as a consultant to citizens groups that want to defeat property tax increases to pay for schools. And he's been quite successful. When Paul Doerr is involved, a school bond vote is more likely to fail. But his campaigns can feel ruthless. He sows distrust of local elected officials, of the media, and pits neighbor against neighbor. His strategy involves tactics more akin to what we see on the national political stage in bigger cities, where sides are drawn more deeply and accusations of dishonesty and personal attacks are part of the game. In rural towns, some people say they feel blindsided by Doors' campaigns. People in the communities he's worked in say some of their neighbors have stopped talking with each other. They say their towns are still torn, sometimes years later. Some say that they are left with schools that are still too small, too old, and too crowded. And just a heads up, you'll hear a swear word in this story. Here's Alex to continue. Worthington, Minnesota is a town of about 13,000 people, wedged into the corner of two intersecting highways. One's on its way to Iowa, the other to South Dakota. Surrounding them are rows of corn and soybeans from pavement to horizon. Occasionally, hog barns, each the length of two or three football fields, pop up on the landscape. A roundabout between the two highways acts as a sort of gateway into Worthington, spitting drivers off the interstate and onto Oxford Street. There's the JBS pork processing plant there, the Crafty Corner quilt and sewing shop, Lupita's Mexican restaurant, and the First State Bank Southwest, where I met Greg Ramo. He's president of the bank. Hi, Greg. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Come on in. The bank has two levels. Ramo's office is on the second floor. He's in a suit and tie, has a round face, and a big smile. I've lived here 22 years. My wife and I uh, moved here in 97 to accept a position here at the bank. And we have three children, all who have gone through the public school system here. 
Two of Ramos' kids still live here, along with four grandkids. The family is well-known in town. His daughter and daughter-in-law teach at the local schools. He's served in the town's booster club, on a committee in the Chamber of Commerce, and on the hospital's advisory board. We love Worthington. Um, This community has been incredibly good to us. Uh, Our bank is really invested here because we are locally owned. The, The vitality of our community here is critical to our future success. For Ramo, keeping the community vital means supporting better schools. There's no secret to why people choose communities. If you're going to recruit young professionals, the school system is the most important thing to them. Sounds uncontroversial. Maybe that's what Greg Ramo thought in 2016 when he was quoted in the local paper advocating for a new school. Well, welcome, everybody. It's nice to see everyone here tonight. And went to talk Um, with the city council about what a great idea the school was. These comments are my own personal comments, not of the bank, but um, thanks for letting us come tonight. Uh, I'll make mine That's Ramo in a video from the meeting. I think we have a rare opportunity because we're one of the few communities in this state that are growing, and we can take this community forward many years. He talks about the refugees and immigrants, many from Mexico and Central America, that have been moving to Worthington in the last decade to fill jobs in agriculture and meatpacking. He tells the council that all families in Worthington need good schools, but the Worthington Public Schools are at capacity. This is a long-term decision that we have to make. is for the betterment of the future of the kids that are served in our educational system here in Worthington. There was no booing at the meeting. No one stood up to challenge Ramo's comments. But he had to know some farmers would be upset. Because if there was going to be a new school, farmers were going to have to help pay for it. And so the negative that surfaced, of course, was, uh, you know, how can you do this to us during downtimes in agriculture? Financing school buildings is complicated. Ultimately, it boils down to this. When it comes to building new schools or fixing old ones, taxpayers in local school districts pay for almost all of it. Most states cover less than 20% of the cost. 12 states don't cover a dime. The federal government doesn't really give anything unless it's to rebuild after a natural disaster. To pay for construction, most school districts have to take out a loan, then tax every privately owned parcel of real estate in the school district to pay that loan back. But first, they have to ask voters if this is okay. It's called a bond referendum vote. Yes or no on raising property taxes on almost every property owner for the next 20 to 30 years to pay for the school construction. Farmers have a lot of property, but often they don't make much money. The median farm income in this part of Minnesota in 2017 was just over $36,000. There is no making money anymore in the land, and now you're going to tax us, take out another what we were trying to live on? No. Jolene Cool is a livestock farmer in Worthington. Her land is worth about $4.5 million, but her income is nowhere near that figure. When the Worthington schools tried to pass a bond in February of 2018... Financial advisors calculated that farmers would have shouldered at least 30% of the cost. Cool would have paid about $1,700 more per year in property taxes. The land is our 403B plan or 401K plan or whatever. That is our retirement. So how would it be for every working person and school board member to take out of their retirement every year Cool has been opposed to the bonds since the beginning. When the district asked voters to raise their property taxes back in 2016, 
she organized with other farmers to oppose the new school project. They called themselves the Worthington Citizens for Progress Committee, and they were worried about money. Are you Adam? I'm Adam. I'm Alex. Nice to meet you. Yes, nice to meet you, too. I met Adam Bloom out on his farm west of downtown Worthington. He and his dad grow corn and soybeans and raise cattle on about 1,200 acres. Down their long gravel driveway, there's a farmhouse, a big barn, and a little office that looks like a shed. We talked there. Adam says when the school bond issue came up three years ago, he was one of those farmers that joined the Citizens for Progress Committee. My dad signed us up and I agreed to it because the initial thing with the Progress Committee was is we were voicing the, the tax issue. The group hired a consultant, Paul Dorr, who helped them come up with their name and create a Facebook page and a website and a communication strategy. On the Worthington Citizens for Progress Facebook page, they accused the school district of exaggerating how bad things would be if the bond didn't pass. The school board was talking about year-round classes and portable classroom trailers as possible solutions to some of their space issues. Dorr and the Worthington Citizens for Progress wrote that the board was doing this to scare voters. They accused the school board of financial mismanagement. On their website, they called the school board incompetent and deaf. They encouraged people not to eat at restaurants where school bond information from the school district was displayed. And they wrote critically about community business leaders who'd spoken up in favor of the new school, like the banker, Greg Ramo. Adam Bloom is good friends with Ramo's son, Nick. I remember I was sitting at the dirt track races in Worthington, and I got a nasty text from Nick about it. And I looked on there and I was like, what is this? This is a personal attack. After Ramos' comments in the paper and his speech at the city council meeting, a post appeared on the Worthington Citizens for Progress Facebook page. It called Greg Ramo misguided, spelled it in all caps. Seems pretty innocuous, but this isn't the way politics are usually conducted in Worthington. And shortly afterwards, Ramo says, several members of the Worthington Citizens for Progress committee took it a step further. Let's uh, close accounts at the bank to get their point across to, to neutralize me as much as possible. One farmer who was a member of the Citizens for Progress even insisted on watching Ramo personally close the account that the farmer had had for years. Ramo says he never expected things to get so bitter. The personal attacks on our superintendent, the personal attacks on any farmers that wanted to support it, the personal attacks on any business owners that wanted to support it, those personal attacks will take years to get over. And I, I, it became way too personal. Greg Ramo and some other people in Worthington say you can trace the nastiness of this fight back to one guy, Paul Dorr, the man the Worthington Citizens for Progress hired to help them defeat the tax increase. Dorr works as a consultant for a lot of anti-school bond groups. For Dorr, fighting school bond measures isn't just a job, it's a mission. I have a deep, passionate abhorrence of government schools. I'm dedicating my life to see them and to pass it on the vision on to my children and children's children to see that institution one day be gone. That's Paul Dorr in a YouTube video. He's standing at a podium. Some Bible verses are up on the wall behind him. I fight these purveyors of the moral destruction of Christianity. That is the government school. More so, I fight them as I see no biblical warrant for them to even exist. Paul Dorr wouldn't talk with me for this story. He rarely talks with media nowadays. When I emailed him to ask for an interview, he wrote back that he doesn't support, quote, big government radio programs. He went on to say, 
Such networks promoting leftist ideology and the god of government would simply not exist apart from stealing taxpayer funds from Christians. On his website, he's forthcoming about his personal story and his mission. Dorr comes from a big farming family, but he went into banking. He was co-owner of a small bank in Iowa before he left to do his advocacy work. He started an anti-abortion group called Rescue the Perishing. He's anti-tax and anti-government. He worked as the Iowa field director for Libertarian Ron Paul's 2008 presidential campaign. He works against school bonds through his company Copperhead Consulting. A big part of his work defeating new schools involves trying to convince voters not to trust their local elected officials. Here he is on a podcast called The War Room. Then along the way, as a former banker, I bring a lot of financial expertise to exposing the illegitimacy of the local government. He says lots of people trust their local government, and he'd like to change that. Washington and their state capital are corrupt, but we hope at the local level that we still have some pretty decent people here yet. And it turns out, no, we don't. There is corrupt here. He labels himself a Reconstructionist Christian. Reconstructionists also call themselves Calvinists or Christian Reformed. Many believe it's their duty to push for a Christian theocracy with laws based on the Old Testament. Here's Dorr on the war room again. I've just I've spent many years just thinking through this kingdom advancement and looking where, where we could do it, how we could do it. And I've been involved in national politics, but I, I just years ago became convinced that one day a lot more Christians will see it's time to start at the local level. Dorr believes public schools are thwarting this kingdom advancement and indoctrinating kids against Christian beliefs. Taking on public schools is fundamental to his larger mission. My strong area is, is, is in pushing back taxpayer funding for public schools. And in that realm, I don't, when you want to pick a fight with the idol, the number one idol of our time, the, the temple of our time, most political, political consultants don't want to do this. You have to have an eschatology of hope, of victory, of conquest. Dorr lives in the small town of Ochaden, Iowa. He and his wife raised their 11 kids there, and she homeschooled all of them. He thinks all kids should be homeschooled, or schooled within a community of shared religious belief. Public education is sin against God. We've got, we got to get our kids out. Dorr's been working with citizens groups to oppose school-building campaigns in nine states for at least 25 years. Besides helping to defeat two dozen school-building campaigns in his home state of Iowa, he's worked to oppose referendums in Idaho, Illinois, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, South Carolina, South Dakota, and Texas. He claims he's worked against more than 80 referendums in those nine states. We were able to collect campaign finance records and old newspaper articles that confirm at least 62 of the referendum campaigns he's been involved in. He works primarily in small school districts, many with an area population of less than 15,000 people. In some districts, once the referendums have failed, enrollment has declined, schools have had to consolidate, and superintendents and school board members quit. And people who've been through the referendum campaigns say when Dorr leaves, he leaves battered relationships behind. Just the conflict has affected, you know, where parents want to send their kids to school. So it just spilled over to the whole community. And it, it has been a long, hard process to bring our community back together again. Paul Dorr tried to rip us apart. Now it's time to mend the fences. 
It was very, very draining to the point that, you know, honestly, I had said several times that I, if it hadn't passed in November, I don't know that I personally could have um, endured another one. Doar's tactics are similar wherever he goes. First, he gathers records from the schools. During the first bond vote in Worthington, the school district handed over nearly 100 pages of material. In Neely, Nebraska, he and his committee requested many of the superintendent's emails. Once Doar has amassed the records, he has the raw material for his online campaign. He creates a website and Facebook page for his groups and begins to make posts and videos that cast doubt on the information coming from the district. Is Worthington ISD 518 school board trying to hide something from the media and voters? In Worthington, for example, the school district posted enrollment figures on their website. They show that over the last 10 years, overall enrollment has grown by about 100 students per year. They also showed projections of those numbers continuing to grow. Paul Doerr took to Facebook. Their demographer has been off by large numbers in Duluth and St. Paul ISDs, too. It is her projections they are using to scare you into spending $68.5 million. The Citizens for Progress wrote on Facebook that class sizes were bigger in the 70s. Here's Superintendent John Langard. In some cases, they were. But the district's buildings weren't being used the same way. The high school at that point was a three-grade building, not a four-grade building. The middle school was a three-grade building, too. Now it houses four grades. Langard adds that during the peak enrollment year of 1972, the Worthington Public Schools consolidated with three neighboring districts. Worthington schools absorbed the students from those districts, but they were still using the buildings in those districts for several years. Langard also says that today, schools have different mandates for space. The district needs more classrooms for English language learners, special education, programming that's required by the state and federal government, and for courses they want to offer to be competitive and serve students in the area. No one was taking robotics or graphic design classes at Worthington High School in the 70s. So to compare back in the early 70s to now is not comparing apples and apples. It's not comparing fairly what really is the need. Doar's opponents and some local news outlets say that he shares misleading information to get people to vote no. Donnie Sturtz was on the school board when Independence Iowa tried to pass a bond five times between 2004 and 2011. I remember a few of the postcards that he sent and how shocked I was at seeing some of his, his things that he wrote that I felt weren't quite accurate or at least misleading. In St. James, Minnesota, Superintendent Becky Chilovsky says the group opposed to the school bond there issued an automated phone call to people in the lead-up to the vote. They'd have, like, supposedly a retired teacher. Um, it wasn't somebody from our district, but it made it appear that it was from our, our district, saying that the teachers aren't in support of this, we don't need this, um, so please vote no, make sure you get out and vote no kind of thing. Dorr accuses the school board of holding the referendum and building a school for their own gain. It's a special kind of callousness, even cruelty where the pride and ego of a handful can so easily exaggerate in their efforts to hurt those who are financially stressed, often the very poor. Board members, please, really start to think of your neighbors and the children. He frequently accuses the local paper of working as a mouthpiece for the school district. The newspaper in Worthington is called The Daily Globe. Ryan McGahee is the editor. When he wrote an editorial in support of the school building project, the Worthington Citizens for Progress posted his wife's salary on their website. 
She's a seventh grade English teacher. The committee said the paper was unable to report fairly on the issue because the editor is married to a teacher, which he is. Here's editor Ryan McGahey. It was just another attempt to question the credibility of the district as a whole and question the credibility of the paper at the same time. They also posted a graph to Facebook showing declining subscriptions to the paper. The post read, Globe subscription collapse continues, in all caps. Which, of course, is a problem for newspapers all over the country. They want people to think, oh, yeah, the Globe doesn't have it. You know, why go to them? Let's just believe what the Citizens for Progress are saying. They're the real source of information. Sometimes Dorr or his committee members find a kid to speak out on a radio ad or Facebook video about the issue. I really do not want them to do this because this even raises taxes on your property and your houses. Dorr tells voters that by voting no on the school bond, they're teaching students financial responsibility. Here he is in a radio ad from Coles County, Illinois. Learning to live within your budget and better stewarding the assets one already has is a positive lesson for our kids to learn. We ask you to join us in challenging the schools of Coles County to teach our children these critical lessons. If you really care about the children of Coles County, join us and vote no this... He writes opinion pieces in local newspapers, sends mailers, and distributes pamphlets to voters with his own interpretation of the school's need. He also sends out his own calculation of the tax impact to voters. In the Clarion-Goldfield-Dows District in Iowa, Superintendent Bob Olson says Dorr and his group sent out mailers about everyone's tax burden that neglected to include certain tax credits and exceptions that would actually lower many people's costs. You know, they wouldn't take into account what a uh, homestead credit would be or anything like that that would reduce the actual assessed valuation. And so, I mean, there there were things that made it look like it was going to cost the taxpayer much more than it really did. Then, right before the bond vote date, Dorr oftentimes orchestrates an automated phone blast to voters. Here's tape of one robocall from St. Peter, Minnesota. We are the St. Peter Citizens for Progress Committee and ask you to join us and vote no. Our view of progress does not include setting poor financial examples for children, making wasteful investments, and heaping on massive new debts and taxes. In 2006, a Vote Yes group in one rural Minnesota district filed a complaint with a state agency against a group that had hired Dorr, alleging that the group had violated a state law meant to ensure clean elections. The law made it illegal to knowingly spread false information about a ballot question. That complaint was eventually dismissed. But in response, that group and two others that had worked with Dorr challenged the law. They said it infringed on their right to free speech. And they won. The Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals struck down the law. By 2006, members of the Minnesota Association of School Administrators caught wind of Dorr and his tactics. They started paying much closer attention to him. They held a session at a statewide conference called School Finance Election and the Paul Dorr Factor, Get Ready or Get Defeated. And they released a rapid referendum response guide to defeating him part of a rapid referendum response initiative. They included a document with testimony from school superintendents in Iowa and Minnesota who have faced Dorr. They wrote, He leaves a trail of divided communities with no apparent remorse. Fred Nolan is executive director of the Minnesota Rural Education Association. He's become very aware of Paul Dorr over the years and how effective he's been in the state and in Iowa when it comes to defeating school building proposals. Have a big ask to begin with, um, and he just makes it makes it that much harder. 
I pulled data from the nine states where DOOR operates, and it shows that usually school bond referendums pass. But when Paul Doerr is involved, they usually fail. Doerr has claimed an 82% success rate in the past. The records and archival news I have from 62 referendums he's been involved in show that he's been successful in helping defeat school bonds about 70% of the time. On his website, rollbacklocalgov.org, he outlines his tactics, so it's pretty easy for anyone trying to defeat their school bond referendum to copy. I think his tactics are replicable. Given Fairfax, Winthrop ran a bond over a year ago, and while Paul Doerr was not there, all the earmarks of his tactics were um, by the opponents of the bond. So do you think there's anybody else who's consulting like Paul Doerr? I'm wondering, like, in Minnesota or Iowa, or is he kind of like a unique figure? Uh, he's pretty unique. Um, I don't think anybody else is doing it. But like I said, his, you go on his website, his tactics are pretty replicable. And I think people are replicating them. Doerr gives many of the bond opposition groups he works with similar names. Citizens for Progress is one that comes up a lot as well as Citizens Acting for Responsible Education and Citizens for Sustainable Education and Citizens for Quality Education. Campaign finance records are the best way to confirm whether he's been hired. But keeping track of campaign finance records for referendum votes is up to the district or state. In some states, no one is required to report any money spent to support or oppose school bond referendums. From the records I've been able to collect, I know Door charges anywhere from about $100 to more than $15,000 for his services per bond campaign. He's received more than $23,000 from the Worthington Citizens for Progress Committee for work defeating three of the bond campaigns there. And it's worth noting, school districts often hire their own communications consultants to help get the word out about bond referendums. Many of them are paid much more than Door. I wanted to talk with the people who've hired Paul Doerr during the last 25 years. So I called anyone who had listed their phone number on campaign finance records as either chair or treasurer of a group. Many names and numbers were missing or illegible, but I reached out to nearly 40 people. Only two agreed to talk with me on the record. One of them was Robert Meyer. He's a farmer in St. Peter, Minnesota. The schools there tried to get a school referendum passed four years ago so they could build a new high school. Meyer was nervous about how much the hike in property taxes was going to cost him. He owns 1,500 acres. Then I got rather excited because it meant a lot of money to me and my wife. They called up a few friends to meet at a local restaurant to talk about what they could do to influence the outcome of the bond vote. Somebody had heard about a guy who will help anti-referendum groups. So, and uh, I, I forget how I got his name. His name is Paul Doerr, as you well know. Meyer says the group they formed was mostly farmers. Door helped them pick out a name, the St. Peter Citizens for Progress Committee. Paul knew how to organize a uh, committee like this and helped us do the proper uh, legal work. And uh, there's filing requirements with the State Department of State. The group set about getting their message out, especially on Facebook. Paul Door, I imagine he was in charge of the um, pamphlets and the all the Facebook posts. W- was he mostly in charge of the messaging? Like, were you guys kind of taking a backseat to it? Oh, yeah, we're not sophisticated like that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I've never used Facebook. I'm sure many of the other farmers uh, in the group probably have, but uh, we hit on a messaging techniques, and, and then he implemented it through, through our Facebook. 
So Paul Dorr is not an uncontroversial figure. Did you know about his sort of philosophy before you hired him? Oh, he was quite upfront. Um, you know, he he came up and presented a proposal, and uh, he and I had long discussions. And uh, I, I like the guy a lot. He he's, he works for he's working for farmers most of the time. You know, because we're the ones who get hit with these expensive capital purchases. This time, Paul Dorr's group lost. The bond for $59 million to build a new high school was approved. Meyer is still mad about that. His property taxes went up more than $14,000 per year to pay for the school. This school district is spending $100 million over 30 years, and there won't be one child educated any better than there were before the referendum. They built this palace. I, I refused to go near the place, but I had to I sing in a local choral group, and we put a concert on in the concert hall. And it, it rivals uh, Symphony Hall in Minneapolis. I mean, it's bizarre. This is a town of 10,000 people. And, you know, that's t- spending $100 million is, you know, $10,000 for every person. It's, it's just preposterous. That $100 million figure he mentioned includes the bond cost plus the projected interest over 25 years of paying the bond back. It's been four years since the referendum passed in St. Peter. Meyer says the dust has not completely settled. Since the referendum, there are a number of people that just don't talk to me anymore. But, you know, that's, that's life. I'm of an age where I don't give a shit what people think of me. Like Meyer, most of the people I interviewed understood Paul Dorr's personal mission. Some agree with it. Some are against taxes writ large. Some think public education is in such bad shape it doesn't deserve their funds. Others just don't believe any of the controversy around his beliefs is as important as avoiding a tax hike they feel is untenable. Remember Adam Bloom, that young farmer in Worthington we heard from at the beginning, who started out backing Paul Dorr's efforts to defeat a tax increase? Not against education, but it's just taxes are so big on land. And for a young farmer, the ag economy is terrible right now. But when the group opposed to the bond went after his friend's dad, Greg Ramo, the bank president, Adam Bloom had had enough. I, the next day I took my name and my dad's off because I was like, this ain't what we're about. For a while, Adam Bloom held out hopes that the two sides might be able to reach a compromise. During the summer of 2018, when the school district tried to run a bond vote for the third time, they decided to create a task force. It was made up of people who were for the new school and people who had been against it in the past. Bloom was invited to participate, and he did. Bloom and the task force talked with the remaining members of the Worthington Citizens for Progress Committee, and they all came up with a deal. Get this thing down to around that 30, I remember 32 to 35 million, somewhere in there, and we think this thing can be supported. The task force and school district proposed a $35 million plan. The Citizens for Progress said they had agreed to $30 million, nothing more. They're just shooting a number out there, and I don't think they know, in all honesty. I really don't. The Citizens for Progress wrote on Facebook and their website that, quote, the deal's off. They hired Dorr and campaigned against the vote for the third time, and the referendum failed. For Adam Bloom, the battle for school funding has become even more personal. The summer before he joined the task force, Bloom's daughter was born with Down syndrome. He knew the district was considering moving some special education classes to an old building that the district had initially planned on demolishing in 2001. And Adam Bloom wants his daughter to be able to go to the same schools all the other kids go to. 
So is she going to need special education someday? Probably. So I also view it as, yeah, you're taxing my land, but you know what? That little girl is getting a lot of special attention and help that she needs. Until you're in those shoes, it makes you think twice. After the bond was defeated for the third time, Adam Bloom ran for school board, and he won. He says he didn't like the way the district was spending money, and he wanted a say in that. And he thinks the district does a poor job communicating with the public before making decisions with public money. But Bloom says he's willing to work with Landguard and the school board to try and create change. You know what? My daughter needs this system. I don't want her to lose out, so I want to do something. And that's part of the reason I'm on the school board, too, is because of her, you know, because I feel it's my due diligence to support that system. So Adam Bloom is still hoping voters will finally say yes to raising their own taxes to pay for a new intermediate school, a new building that can take care of at least two grades to free up space in the district's other buildings. On November 5th, people in Worthington will go to the polls again, the fifth vote in three years. Dorr didn't get involved in the last one, and it's unlikely he'll be personally involved in this next one. The Worthington Citizens for Progress say they've disbanded. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Lyndon Olson is 81 years old. He's been on the Worthington School Board for 15 years. I met him out at his home. He had recently sold his farm to his son and daughter-in-law and downsized a bit. He grew up in the area and has spent most of his life in Worthington. He's got a good pulse on the various reasons voters have been reluctant to approve any of the last four school bond proposals. He says the real culprit, the one that creates the overall ecosystem Door is able to thrive in, is the way we pay for school buildings. Uh, because school buildings are funded mainly by pr- local property taxes, and then if you layer on top of that the average per household income in these districts, Olson has gone to the Minnesota State Legislature to petition for changes to the school finance structure in the state, so there's more relief for farmers. What I get back from them is, yes, we understand the problem, but there's not the political will to make the change. But in recent years, the state of Minnesota has created more tax credits for farmers to help. In 2017, they passed the Ag to School Tax Credit to give farmers 40 percent of their costs for a school bond back to them. By 2020, the state legislature has agreed to increase this to 50 percent. By 2023, they've agreed to return 70 percent of the farmers' school bond costs to the farmers. But it could be too little too late for Worthington. And in your 81 years in Worthington, have you, have you ever seen people become as divided as they were over this? <laughs> no, no, I, I, have, I have not. I only saw Dor in person once over this year of reporting. It was in a courtroom in Orange City, Iowa. He had been charged with fifth-degree criminal mischief for burning four library books from the Orange City Public Library. All four books were LGBTQ positive stories for kids. There was one called Two Boys Kissing, another called Morris Micklewhite and the Tangerine Dress. After he checked the books out, Dorr made a fire in a steel can and filmed himself burning them on a 30-minute Facebook Live video. He read an excerpt from each book, talked about how he felt, and then dropped them in. Two boys kissing, going to the library. That one won't be going to the children anymore. The non-jury trial took place in August, nearly a year after he had burned the books. He was found guilty. He didn't even attempt to defend himself. But right before sentencing, he read something written in the 16th century. 
It was the last two stanzas of the Dutch national anthem. But to God, the greatest of majesties, I owe obedience, first and last, for justice, his justice, wills itself. I now turn myself over to your hands. Dorr was ultimately ordered to pay for the library books and the court fees, in total about $147. Outside of the courtroom, he handed out copies of the anthem he'd read, but he wouldn't talk to me about school bonds. He issued a statement later, saying his motive in burning the books was to protect children and to honor God. That report comes from producer Alex Baumhart. You can find out more about her story on our website, apmreports.org educate. And tell us what you think. We're on Facebook and Twitter, where our handle is at educatepodcast, one word. You can also send an email to contact at apmreports.org or write up a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Educate Podcast is produced by Alex Baumhart and Chris Julin. This episode was edited by Catherine Winter and mixed by Craig Thorson. Special thanks to the Education Writers Association, Curtis Gilbert, Tom Sheck, Sasha Eslanian, John Hernandez, Shelley Langford, and Jeff Hing for their help with this episode. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM.